Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the sixth week of our series, Who Do You Say I Am? This message comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 through 27. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. I've been looking in the Gospel of Matthew and this whole idea of, you know, who is Jesus? And if, and if he is who he says he is, and what does that mean to us? What should, does that mean in our life? And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the end of Matthew 17, an interesting passage. It seems like it's got these three little things that don't seem to fit together, but they do. And, and God puts them together because he's trying to help us understand them in the context of, of each other. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew 17. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 27. Um, and I'd encourage you to not only look there, but then to keep your Bible open. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you. We'd invite you to use that because really all the points from the message always come from the Bible. And so if you have it open, you can see right there in God's word where it all comes from. But let me begin by reading the passage. I'm going to just move this back a little bit so I don't bang it. Um, let me go ahead and read this uh, that we're going to be looking at. Matthew 17, starting in verse 20. In this, speaking of Jesus, and he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, for nothing will be impossible for you. And they were gathering in Galilee. Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised again on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, for the sons are free. However, do not, do not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take up the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel and take that and give it to them for you and for your, for me and for yourself. May God bless the reading of this word. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together. Father, to be able to dive into this passage. I thank you for the way that you have helped me understand it over this past week. Father, the, uh, the truths that are here. And Father, I pray that you would now get me out of the way that your spirit would speak through me and in spite of me. Father, help us each one that are here to be able to hear what you have for us this morning that we would not only understand the meaning, but would understand and know how to apply it to our lives. I pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we read a verse like Matthew 17, 20, we read just a moment ago, it, it seems to make such a great promise. You know, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, when you say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And, and we read that, and we might think, you know, well, this is, is calling us to have faith and, and, and to do things that are, you know, that's super heroic and, you know, some things for God that are just incredible. And look at what he says. With the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. He promises nothing will be impossible for you. So is he calling us to seek to do the impossible, to, to seek to move mountains, to, to, in a sense, be the spiritual superhero that does great things? If so, what would that even look like? You see, I think when we look at these, this verse, it's one of those verses that we can throw out there and we put on, on, on posters or we throw out as platitudes and say, hey, faith can move mountains, and, and that's encouraging, and it is. And, but when we look at that, we have to ask, what is it actually saying? No, not just as a platitude. What does it actually mean? What is it calling us to do? 
what would it look like if we were to live this out? Now, in this passage, we're going to see it actually begins to answer that question. And, and we're going to try to explain that and paint a picture of, of maybe what it looks like. But, but I'm tell you, we're going to get to that at the end of the message. So we've got to stay with me to the end. But let me start by asking, as we look at this, what exactly is Jesus promising here? It's again, it's one of these great promises. If we just have enough faith, anything is possible. That's often what people will see. They, you know, if we, we just believe, we can put our mind to anything, and, and that's what happens. And, and so it's a first that people will put on motivational posters. You know, faith can boom mountains, or we're going to post it on social media. What an incredible promise, especially if we feel like we're facing a mountain in our lives. Uh, it's also a famous a passage that people often use that, that teach something that's often referred to as the health wealth gospel or name it, claim it, theology. This idea that, you know, that they'll often say that if you just have enough faith, the impossible will happen. What's your dream? Whatever it is, you know, if you just believe enough, you can accomplish anything that you want. It's actually several passages that people use this way. Another one as an example is Philippians 4.13. Some of you might know that. It, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now again, I've seen people take this verse and say that what it's teaching is, is whatever your goal in life, whatever it is, with God's help, you can accomplish whatever goal that you want. It's often uh, phrased in such a way that it's kind of, this, this, the way that it's wording here is kind of what a lot of people think. For I can do all things. I can do everything with the help of Jesus. I can do it with his help who gives me the strength that I need. And so it's an idea of what we can accomplish. And it's a popular verse that you especially see with athletes. And they have, you know, the stickers under their eyes. And, and they're out, like, I can accomplish anything. And again, it's great motivational verse. I even found this golf ball that has the you know, verse right there in the golf. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I said, that's what I need. You know, if I have this golf ball and then, then with God's strength, I can hit a 300-yard drive. You know, it's like, wow, that's, is that what it's promising? No, of course not. That's not what this is promising, not what Matthew 17 is promising. It's not saying that if you just, you know, have enough faith, whatever you put your mind to, you can accomplish. In fact, let's even think about, for example, we're not there, but let's take a moment to think about Philippians 4.13. I mean, Philippians 4.13, it's written by Paul, the whole book of Philippians. It's written while he was in prison in Rome, waiting trial before Nero. He had been in prison for two and a half or years or longer. And so if you think about it, if Paul's point here is dream big dreams, because with God's help, anything is possible, it would seem a pretty strange message for him because he's not living his dream. His dreams are crushed. You know, he he's wants to be out. He wants to be traveling. He wants to plant new churches. And instead, he's now spent years in jail. And you think about it, if, if that's what he's saying, if you want advice of how you can accomplish your dreams, asking the guy that's in jail doesn't seem to be the guy that you'd ask. It's kind of like coming to me and asking, how do you have fuller hair? You know, it's just like, okay, you're not going to ask me that. That just doesn't go together. So that's not what he's saying. What about Jesus? Let's go back to Matthew 17, 20. And what's he saying? What's he talking about mustard seeds and mountains? Again, we look at the promise. If you have faith like grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, we looked at this more in depth last Sunday. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about was this idea that when we try to interpret the Bible, the first rule of interpreting the Bible is use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So we don't just come back and say, well, here's what I think it means. In this case, we have another account in the Gospel of Mark of the same story. 
And Jesus also calls us to have this, you know, this faith, and like a faith of a mustard seed, but he explains what it means. They're both telling the same story. At this, the context of the story is a father comes to Jesus, and he's got a son that's, that's um, uh, oppressed by an evil spirit. And so much so that he's going into convulsions and he's trying to throw himself in the fire. And so the, the father brings the boy to the disciples and the disciples can't heal him. And so now the, the father goes around the disciples directly to Jesus and look at how he asked for Jesus' help. Mark chapter 9. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now right away Jesus hears that and look at his reply. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. If you can, you're asking me, if I can do anything, do you doubt that I can? Do you really have faith? Do you believe that I can? And I love the father's response. He says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love this because this is explaining the faith of the mustard seed. This is the same idea taught from a different angle. And what it's telling us is a faith of the mustard seed isn't defined by how great the faith is. It's a faith that has doubts. It's a tiny bit of faith that has doubts and struggle but persists even in the midst of the doubts. It's like this father who comes and says, I, I don't believe I'm struggling, but I have enough faith to ask you even in the midst of my doubts. And I love that because it gives me hope. Because the fact of the matter is, that a lot of times I still have doubts. And I come to God and I'm asking him to do something and I'm not 100%, you know, I'm not certain and I wonder and I worry and, and God's saying, oh, that's okay. Because the faith that he calls us to is not a faith that, you know, that, is, that is, the miracles are done because of the size of our faith. The miracle is done because of the faith that we, the object of our faith. You hear this father comes and he brings a request and he knows. He doesn't try to hide it. He acknowledges it. Help my unbelief. But he comes and says, Jesus, I believe you're so great that, that you can take this little bit of faith and you could even overcome the gap of my faith to do the miracle. Because the important thing isn't the size of our faith, it's the object of our faith. Now let me help and even just illustrate this just practically. All right, so let's say I've got a chair up here. And, and I can say, okay, sitting in a chair is an act of faith. It's a act of saying, I'm going to put my full weight in this, and, I, and it's a statement of saying, I believe that it's going to hold me up. Now, let's say that for whatever reason, I really doubted whether this chair was solid, whether it had integrity, whether somebody's pulling a trick on me, and, and I'm sitting there saying, I really doubt the chair. I, I really don't want to. I'm afraid to do that, but man, I'm tired, and I've got to sit. And, and, I, and if I come and I very slowly put my weight on it, and I really don't trust it, and I finally sit down, now it's holding me up. Now, would you say that the chair is any less reliable because of my doubts? Was there anything that changed about the chair's ability to hold me up because of my confidence or my doubts? No. I could have all kinds of doubts, but because of the integrity of the chair, the object of what I put my faith in, it works. Now, on the other hand, I could take something, you know, I could take a music stand and I could say, oh, I can hold this. And if I, and I'm totally confident and I sit my whole weight on it, it's going to fall. Now, does my confidence of faith make it more steady? No, I can have total faith in something that doesn't have integrity, that isn't true. And it's not going to hold me up. 
And so what we've got to realize is, is when I sit down, do I have enough faith to sit in the chair? I can have all kinds of doubts, but am I willing to overcome those doubts? And even if it's slow, to sit in the chair. And that's what he's talking about, putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Do I have enough faith to put my trust in God? I might have doubts. I might be saying, God, help my unbelief, like that father. But the fact of the matter is, do I have enough faith to persist in, the, in trusting in him, even in the struggle? Now, that's what helping us understand this whole idea of the faith of the mustard seed. But now, then we say, okay, well, that's what faith is. What about the mountains that we're promised to move, that we're going to move mountains, that we're not going to accomplish anything? What is that mountain that we're called to move? Now, many people will look at this passage and they interpret it to mean you get to choose the mountain. You know, you look at your life, you think about what you want to accomplish, you bring it to God, and if you have enough faith, then God is going to move your mountain. Now, the problem is, is when we look at the verses, that's clearly not what God is teaching here, what Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching us is that if we come to God, it's a matter of having faith that he will choose the mountain. It's not that we come and come to God and say, God, here's my agenda, and if I just believe enough, then you're going to put your power behind my agenda. No, it's actually coming and saying, God, I believe you enough to surrender my agenda and to embrace your agenda. And when I embrace your agenda, then you will do the miracle that I'm looking for. And that means that, in a sense, the first mountain we've got to deal with in our own life is we've got to deal with the mountain of surrendering our mountain, of surrendering our agenda. You know, of coming and saying, God, it's not about what you will do for me. It's what do you want me to do? It's not about telling God, here's, here's my dreams, and with your help, I can accomplish my, my dreams. No, it's a question of, do you have enough faith to surrender your dreams, to trust him? Look at what we see even here. Look back to Matthew 17, 20. Jesus gives his promise. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. It will move. Nothing will be impossible. Next verse. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. They were greatly distressed. Now, remember that we can't look at one verse out of context of all the others. If you do, you can come to all kinds of strange conclusions about what this Jesus is promising here. But Jesus puts these right back to back. And so he's teaching us, if you want to understand something about the mountains I want to move, then right away I'm going to start talking about, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise again. Now, if Jesus was all about accomplishing a dream, what's your dream? God will help you do that. That wasn't Jesus' dream. He wasn't saying, man, I look forward to being betrayed and killed. No, no, actually we see in the Garden of Gethsemane that he's praying, pleading with the Father, please take this cup away from me. But yet he prays, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. So it's not a promise that if we have enough faith, God will allow us to accomplish our dreams, that nothing's impossible. It's actually saying, no, we need to have enough faith that trust God to say, God, you tell me what your dream is, what the mountain is. See, I need to, in a sense, have the faith to let God choose the mountain. And it is a matter of faith. It is a matter of saying, God, I trust you that you know better than I do. I trust you, this is what I want, but that you know better than I do, that, 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 you know, that, that this is the way I think that things should work out. This is my agenda. But God, I have faith that your agenda is better. And, and I give you the right to take my mountain, to take my agenda, and to change me. And when I do, then, then you're going to give me, you're going to do the miracles. So it's not just a faith that God can move the mountain. We need to also have the faith and trust 
that allows him to decide the mountains that need to be moved. I think what, about it, what it says about this in, in Psalm 37, what the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what this is not saying is if you delight yourself in the Lord, God will give you all the stuff you want. What it's saying is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, God will plant in you. God will give you the desires. He will give you new desires. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he will change your heart so that he will give you the desire for the things that he wants to give you. So then we suddenly live the blessed life. We suddenly have the things that our hearts long for because he's changed our heart. But that takes faith. Because I, my desires are what I think I need. And it's hard to surrender that and to say, God, if you want to take that away, if you, if you think that I need something better, I'm going to give you the right to do that. That's delighting in him. That's trusting in him. That's, that's being willing to surrender because we trust that he is good. And so the question is, do you have enough faith to submit to his will? Do you have enough faith in him to trust that his will is good? Now let's go back to the promise of verse 20. Jesus said, if you have faith like grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So we need to not only have the faith that, that, that we let Jesus decide the mountain and to be moved, but it's also teaching that we will never know this power until we submit to his agenda. You see, the point here is, I think, pretty simple. Sometimes we pray, God, here's the mountain. We pray that God to move the mountain. He'll get frustrated that it isn't being moved and God, why are you doing the miracle? And and usually what we're doing is we're saying, God, here's my agenda, and why aren't you doing my agenda? And what we have to ask is, are we trying to talk God into doing what we want to do? Or are we saying, God, here's my agenda, I give you the right to change it. Because it's only when we submit to his agenda do we, and we let him choose the mountain, only then will we see mountains getting moved. Only then will we see his power. And so what we've got to ask is, okay, God, what are the mountains you want to move in my life? What, what are you trying to do? And God, here's what I want. I'm struggling. And, but what are the mountains? When, when we may ask that, well, let me give you an example of one of the mountains that God likes to move. And we see it again here in first rule of interpreting the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. So in Luke chapter 17, we have Jesus teaching almost the same idea. He's talking about the faith of a mustard seed. And he said, if we have the faith of the mustard seed, not that we will move a mountain, but we will move a tree. And what is that thing, the tree that needs to be moved? Here he says, well, let me give you the example. It's the problem of forgiveness. That's the mountain. That's the tree. Let's go to Luke 17, and now let me show you what Jesus is teaching. In verses 3 and 4, he's teaching about the importance of forgiveness. Not just forgiving the person that wronged you a little bit or accidentally, but the people that have wronged us repeatedly, numerous times. In verse 3, he teaches this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, that's hard. You know, I don't know about you, but I listen to that. That's a challenging teaching. And one of the hardest things to do is to forgive someone who has especially wronged you multiple times. And you know what? That's the disciples' reaction as well. They hear Jesus doing this, and their basic response is, are you kidding? We can't do that. I mean, they, they said right, right away, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Basically, their response is, Jesus, we hear what you're saying, but we don't have the faith to do that. We don't have the ability to do that. We can't, it's a mountain we can't move. And look at Jesus' response in verse 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, the same thing that he says here in Matthew, 
you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. It's the same thing, only you hear you use as the a tree. Why? I think tree has roots. And when we think of anger, our anger has roots. And what he's saying is, okay, here you've got anger and it's this tree, it's this mountain that we can't get. And Jesus says, not only are you able to forgive and go through the motion, but I'm able to work it such in your life that I'm able to take the tree, the roots, and everything and move it in the sea and cast it and totally remove it from you. I'm able to do that kind of miracle. Now, the issue is not whether you are able to forgive. You aren't. I'm not. That, that's the whole point here. The disciples said, we can't do it. And Jesus said, okay, I understand that. But God is able to forgive. And what he does is says, well, come and take just a little bit of faith, the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. All you have to do is have that little bit of saying, God, I know you're calling me to do this. Give me the ability that I don't have. And God will do that kind of miracle. It just takes a little it, it, it can be a faith mixed with doubt and struggle and anger and said, God, I want you to change my heart. It could be just like that father who says, I believe, help my unbelief. And God does the miracle. Now, when we look at this, that's hard. That's unpleasant. And, and a lot of times when we think of this whole idea that's often portrayed, what are your dreams? And you can accomplish whatever you want. But even in this whole thing of forgiveness, what you see is often the mountains that God calls us to move aren't pleasant. They aren't the things that we want. Why? Because the biggest thing is God wants to work in us spiritually. He wants to shape our hearts. And you know what the Bible teaches? Often God uses trials and pain and difficulty to shape our hearts, to make us the person that he longs for us to be. In fact, we see this right here again in Matthew 17. We saw again, Jesus made the promise, if you have the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, move, you know, uh, go, move from there to there. Nothing will be impossible for you. The very next verse, Jesus comes back and says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised up again on, our, on the third day. Now, again, from our perspective, we can look at this and we can say, okay, if God is moving mountains, he says, okay, I'm gonna, God can move mountains. And Jesus said, okay, here's the mountain. Thanks. From our perspective, this sure doesn't sound like a mountain Jesus would choose. It almost sounds like Saint Jesus is saying, hey, and he can move mountains, but only in my case, he's going to drop a mountain on me. It's going to destroy me. And so you look at that, and you've got, got to say, this is, again, all together. God put these back to back to teach us something. God was going to do something of incredible spiritual value through Jesus, but it looked and felt like a mountain that was being dropped. And when we look at this and we apply it to ourselves, again, we're not going to be crucified like Jesus, but it's a pattern of how God works. That a lot of times God says, I want to move the mountain, but, but it may not be what you would ever choose. It may not be accomplishing your goals and your dreams. It might be through pain and difficulty. And, and, and often then we pray that God would move the mountain. God, remove this. And, and God's saying, no, I want you to see how I'm actually working through this to do a bigger miracle. Look what it says about this in James 1. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not that we feel joy, not that we're happy, but that we consider, we know. It's a knowledge word. Why? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and lets steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can know that God uses hardship to accomplish maturity. And so we've got to ask, what are you doing? 
And a lot of times what God is doing is something that we never would have chosen, a path we never would have chosen, but it's a good thing. I mean, I, 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 as an illustration of this, I'm reminded of this prayer of, of an, an old soldier from the Civil War. He, he wrote it as a poem. Listen to what he says. I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered, and I, amongst all men, am most richly blessed. But what a great truth. That's often the way that God works. But we have to be willing to surrender our mountain and our agenda and be willing to see, even in the difficulty, that he might be doing some great things. Well, that's one of the mountains of surrendering our agenda. But then we see that there's something else here the mountain that Jesus came to deal with, and that's the mountain of the problem of sin and how it separates us from God. See, again, we see this in these verses we've already looked at. You know, Jesus talks about the you know, faith like grain of a mustard seed, you know, move the mountain, nothing's impossible. And right away, he immediately, next verse, the Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised again on the third day. Again, these are back to back, and God is telling us these ideas are together. He's saying, okay, Jesus, he came to move a mountain. And what was the mountain? It was a mountain that he came to move through the means of his death on the cross and through his resurrection. See, the greatest mountain of all time is the mountain of our separation from God because of our sin. It's a mountain that we can't of ourselves ever deal with. Religions try to. In fact, all religions are basically based on this idea that we understand there is a God, that God is different than we are, that we are separated from God by our sin, by, by our unholiness. And what religion does then is religion says, okay, here are the rules that you have to keep to somehow work your way towards God. All religions have rules. It's the only difference of religion is what the rules are. You know, some say, you know, you need to go to church every week. You need to give money. Uh, you need, you know, some, you need to travel to Mecca. You need to pray three times a day, you know, fa you know facing a certain place. You need to go to confession. And there's all different rules, whatever they are. And biblical Christianity is not a religion. It actually flies in the face of this whole religious structure. It teaches that we are separated from God by our sin. But it also teaches that there's nothing that we can do about it. That all our attempts of, of, of keeping the rules will all fall short. Now, some will distort the Bible's message, and they've made it about rules. And some of you come from churches where it's all about rules and about what you need to do. But here's what I want you to tell you. That's a distortion. It's not what the Bible teaches. Yippee. The message of the Bible isn't about how we work our way towards God, how we somehow close this gap. It's about God who came to us, not about what we do to earn our way towards him, about God coming down to us. That's the message of Christmas. God came to us so that he could have a relationship with us, not through what we do, but through what he does. That at the cross, he took our sins upon himself, that he gives us his righteousness. 
That's what's taught throughout the New Testament. So for example, in, in Romans chapter six, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. It's a righteousness. It doesn't come by the law. It doesn't come by rule keeping. Although it says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. All the laws, everything that you see in the Old Testament, we're all pointing toward this. And what is it? It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In fact, if you look at it in Romans 6, um, it talks about, it says the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of who we are, because of our own efforts is death, is separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's what God gives us, not what we deserve, not what we earn. Now, let me show you how this is developed here in, in Matthew 6 through the story about paying of this tax and, and our burden is, is paid for full in Jesus. So let's look at it, or Matthew 17, because we see it here. It's, it's not something that's immediately obvious. In fact, yeah, I struggled with it for a while, and the reason was is, is because we don't know the Old Testament that well. Now, if you had the people in Jesus' day, they understood the Old Testament, they understood what this tax was about, they would have gotten it right away. I needed help from a commentary to help me get it. And so look at the story, starting in verse 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and says, does your teacher pay the tax? And this has nothing to do with taxes from Rome. It's not a government tax. It's actually a religious tax, sometimes referred to as redemption money or ransom price. It was something that every Israelite 21 years older was ordered to pay by the Bible. It was taught in, in, in Exodus chapter 30. And so let me take you to Exodus 30 and see, see it play out here. And this is long, but stick with me because you're going to see the point. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, um, half of a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 21 years old and upward shall give to the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less, less uh, than half a shekel when you give to the Lord's offering to make atonement for your sins. Now, wait a second, what's it talking about that we're giving money to make atonement? But it continues. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Now, right away, the first question is, what does it mean, atonement? We don't use that word very often. It's kind of a religious word. It has the idea of how a man is brought right into relationship with God. It literally comes from the words that would mean um, at one, uh, you know, making at one. At, at one meant is literally what it is. And so it suppose, supposes that we have this separation between us and God and that we, something needs to happen to make us one. And you say, well, wait a second. You said it's not about religion. It's not about what we do. But here it seems to be saying we pay money to accomplish that. What in the world is it talking about? Here's what it is. This was specifically to pay the price uh, or to, to, to pay the, um, the upkeep for the uh, religious services and for the sacrifices, to pay for the priests, for their attire, their salaries, sacrificial material like the wood and the, you know, the diff different offerings, knives and candles. And, and so specifically, it was supporting the sacrificial system. And it wasn't saying, okay, you've got to do this, but one of the ways that you have faith is that you give money toward the sacrificial system because you need the sacrifices to be made right with God. That's the Old Testament teaching. But when you look at the New Testament, what the Bible is really clear is the Bible says, okay, we don't need that anymore. 
But let's go back to, to Matthew 17. The religious leaders ask Peter about, and says, Jesus paid the price. And Jesus calls Peter aside and he said, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take toll or taxes, from their sons or from others? And we said, from others, Jesus said, the son, then the sons are free. And basically saying, something's going to happen that makes you have a relationship with God, that you're a son, that you don't need to pay the tax. And what is that? He's saying there's something that's going to be happen that, that this tax, not only this tax, but the whole sacrificial system that is, that is holding up, it's going to be paid in full. There isn't any need for any more. And what was that? The death of Jesus Christ. When you look at the context of what was right before, that is really clear that Jesus was going to die on the cross and once and for all, he was going to pay for all sins. Hebrews talks about this idea. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption through what he did for us. He once and for all fulfilled all the needs. He paid all the price. It says later in Hebrews 9, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkle of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh. Well, they did kind of, but it was covering sin. It wasn't washing. And if it did part of that, then how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We are changed. It's a once and for all thing that Jesus Christ has done. That's the gospel message. He died for sins. It's the final sacrifice. And so what do we do? We don't do anything except to accept that through faith. And there is a role that we have, and the role is our mustard seed of faith to believe in what he has done, to, to recognize that, okay, I confess my sins. God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I agree with you. I, I deserve separation from God. And I confess not only that I've sinned, but I can't fix myself. And for some of us, we're trying to do, God, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to, God, all my works are going to fall short. And we have to agree with that. And then put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. We need to ask him to forgive our sins. We need to ask him to, to then become, not only forgive us our sins, but to be the, be the leader, to be God in our life, to reshape us according to his will. Again, we just read it a moment ago in, in Romans 3. Let's look at it again. Now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. It's not from us, although the law and prophets bear to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How do we have this? Through faith, through trust, through recognizing our need, asking God to forgive us, and through faith through all who believe. And you might be sitting there saying, I'm not really sure, and all you need is a faith of a mustard seed. You come and say, God, I'm aware of this, and I don't know all that it means. I'm the faith of the mustard seed. I believe, but it helped my unbelief, and God will meet you there. My friends, if there are some here again, if you're not sure where you're at in relationship with God, maybe you've been trying to do good and you're worried, am I good enough or not? I want you to realize this is the gospel message. And it's God calling out to you saying, no, I don't want you to try harder or be good. I want you to acknowledge I'm not good enough and to bring your need before God and let him forgive you. Trust in his grace. So that's how we come to him. But it also then teaches us, okay, what does it look like to live this out? How do we live this out in our everyday life? Now let's look at again verse 27. After telling Peter he didn't need to pay the tax, Jesus tells him, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take a fish, the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, this is an unusual passage, and you're like, what in the world is this saying? 
One of the things, remember the context. We've been seeing for the last couple chapters, Peter wants to do big things. And when he, now I think he's hearing, you know, you can move mountains, you can, you know, all things are possible. Peter's the kind of guy to say, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to do, you know, Jesus, call me on the water. I want to walk on the water. Matthew 16, you know, he's out there correcting Jesus. Jesus, I know better than you do about what you're supposed to do. He's on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. Immediately, he's telling Jesus what to do. This is a guy that speaks out that I want to do big things. And, and we have a natural tendency to do that, to focus on these big mountains. And God, you know, all things are possible. But look at this story. It's a weird story. You know what's really strange about it? You don't find another story in this like this in all the gospel because it never tells us that Jesus did the miracle. He tells Peter to do something and it never tells us that Peter did it. You know where the story ends? He's basically saying, Peter, go fish. <laughs> what did Peter do for a living? He fished. It's not even big fish, not a bit in your net, just take a hook. First one out, you can pull the fish out, it's gonna have the thing, just go fish. And it kind of assumes that he did. He's calling Peter to exercise his faith but by believing not in the big things, but in the small things. Not, not cast out demons or walk on water, but just go fish. Because sometimes what God's calling us to do is actually not sometimes, usually big faith is usually lived out in small things. For most of us, on most days, the mountain God wants us to move is just a matter of everyday faithfulness. That's what it is. In fact, when he comes out and he says, you know, well, not to cause offense, he's basically saying, you don't need to pay it, but you know what? Let's be a good neighbor here. Let's not fight over different things. You be a good testimony, be a good neighbor, don't cause offense. What does God want us to do? Hey, just be a good neighbor, be a good employee, be reliable, be trustworthy. And then he comes in, and he says, okay, you know, go out and cast your line. Trust me in the little things. You know, you said, God, use me to move mountain this week. Well, what does that look like? It just means being faithful in the little everyday things. You know what it means? If you're married, love your spouse. It means do something for them this week. Think about something that you could do that you don't have to do, that is loving, that is kind, that is compassionate, that meets a need. Just love them well. Let that be a testimony. It means love your kids well. At Thanksgiving this, this week, you know, and I always talk about Thanksgiving, look at each one of your kids and say, how can I pray for you this week? And pray for them and let you know that you're praying for them. Be an example. It means go to work and be the best employee that you can be. Be honest, have integrity. And, and at work, reach out to that unpleasant person, that difficult person. Love the person that's unlovable. Live out your faith in that way. And you say, I can't do it. Well, ask God to give you the ability. Say, God, I can't do it. I just got my mustard seed. Let God do it for you. In church, you know, so often we think, well, I can't preach. I can't do the big things. And well, the big things that God calls us to is it's work in the nursery, help with the kids, help in the tech ministry, help as a, as a greeter, you know, all the little things. And I want to tell you, you know, every once in a while, there aren't many, usually once or twice on a Sunday, if I'm here and I'm not preaching, you'll find me down in one of the kids' rooms. And, and I believe that God is just as honored with what I'm doing and working with the kids on that Sunday as when I'm, he's, he is if I'm here preaching. They're serving God faithfully. That's what God has called us to do. If you don't think of somebody that's in need, somebody lonely this week, reach out to them, send them a card. And moms, you know, you all can think of that and you say, man, you're caring for kids and, and you know, changing diapers and wiping nose and driving them to places and, and it could be so difficult. And you just think, this isn't anything great. You're shaping lives. And before God, that's a great thing. That's an honorable thing. 
Or I think about even today, I mean, what did we celebrate more than anything else? We celebrate testimony of changed life and baptism. And, and, and well, well, what is that? It's not just the baptism that is here. It's that we had a grandmother and a great-grandfather that came out and lit the candle because you've been faithful and you've been reaching out to your granddaughter and you've been bringing her to church. And, and it's those little things that we just do on a daily basis that God uses to accomplish great things. And you know what? As I read this, I believe, okay, God with, you know, a mustard seed. I just all have that mustard seed. With faith, you can move mountains. And I want to see God move mountains. I want to see nothing is impossible. But how do I do that? Well, I'm just saying, okay, God, what have you put in front of me today? And if it's going out to catch a fish, how do I do that in a way that honors you? If I believe you and the little promises, how do I do that? How do I be faithful there? And if I'm faithful with these little things, next thing I know, I'm going to be like, God, I'm amazed at the mountains that you moved. The question is, will you trust me that much? God's saying, will you trust me that much? And it starts by starting to saying, God, I surrender my mountain. I believe that you are good. I believe that you are trustworthy. And it's not about me somehow getting you on my agenda. It's me believing enough to surrender and saying, God, I want to be on your agenda. And help me to serve you, honor you daily in the practical ways. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.